Hey everyone, and a very warm welcome to Grow Your Own Way, a podcast for anyone looking to reclaim the power of their own personal growth and be exactly who they want to be. I'm your host, Kevin Roberts, and I'm a coach, learning and development professional, and growth geek who genuinely gets joy out of helping people become the best versions of themselves. Throughout this podcast, we aim to give everyone the belief that there is no one right way to grow, and hopefully we will inspire and motivate people to forge their own paths and in turn live a life that is true to them. Today's episode is part two of our emotional intelligence special, and we continue our exploration into the topic by looking at the last three pillars, uh, what they mean for us and how they can benefit our lives, and we'll also look to share some takeaway tips to help us all become that little bit more emotionally intelligent. So, if you're ready, let's get started. So welcome back to all those who have already listened to part one of this special. Uh, if you haven't yet done that, I really would recommend pressing pause now and take a listen as it will allow you to embrace more of today's messages. But for those who have already done that, uh, let's just crack on. As I said, in today's episode, we're going to explore the other three pillars of emotional intelligence, which are self-regulation, social awareness and relationship management. Uh, so we'll begin with self-regulation. Now, self-regulation is defined as the ability to control and manage yourself, your emotions and your reactions. And the key word there being control. So in part one, we've already focused on identifying our emotions. Now we're going to look to control those automatic impulses or gut shot reactions that all, that we tend to experience. So the question is, how good is your self-regulation at the moment? And the easiest way to find that out is by answering these three questions for me. So number one, have you recently reacted to a situation in a way that you now regret? Uh, number two, have you had an extreme reaction to a seemingly innocent comment or innocent situation? Or number three, have you snapped over the tiniest of details, so i.e. The, the, the straw that broke the camel's back? Now, if you answered yes to any of those, which I would imagine most of us have, uh, it could be a sign that your self-regulation could just do with a touch of improvement. We all know that we can experience reactions like that, uh, even more so during times like this where we're living under lockdowns and restrictions. We're spending more time in a restricted space with people. Uh, and I, I keep getting told about increases in people who are snapping at loved ones, arguing with friends. Uh, and I even know someone who shouted, and, and I mean proper shouted here, at a door. Um, they caught their jumper on the door handle and it ripped. Uh, and they, they, they just decided to scream at this door. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that we've all said things and we've all done things that we didn't mean um, or we instantly regretted saying something or the way that we acted or reacted in situations. And sometimes those reactions aren't us. Like they aren't how we'd normally react. And maybe more importantly, we know that the damage that that can do. We know the impact it can have in relationships, sometimes beyond repair, in fact. Um, it, can ha- it can affect us at work. And it really can have a knock-on effect to our well-being as well. So if this is something you've experienced or you are ever in a position that you are shouting at an inanimate object like a door... Uh, this part of the episode could be for you. And the good news is, once again, this is something that can be worked on. Yes, we may have those automatic responses, but we can control them. And I think that's that's best summed up with the quote, we cannot control the world, but we can control our reaction to it. And I absolutely love that quote, as it sums up self-regulation. We, we can't control the people around us. We can't control what the rest of the world does or what's on the news. But we certainly can control and manage the way that we react. Um, and there are people who are very good at this, or to like naturally, uh, and some of us may need a little bit of support. Um, and any time I coach people with self-regulation, I generally share just four quick steps 
that can, that can help you overcome or try to overcome those automatic responses. So I'll share them with you now and give it a go next time uh, you're, you're feeling that automatic response. So step number one is to identify the emotion that you are experiencing. Now this seems simple, but this is why I covered self-awareness first. You cannot regulate your reactions if you first can't identify what you're feeling because you need to know where you're starting from. So step one, be sure to identify the emotion you are experiencing. Recognize it, name it. If you struggle with step one, revisit the last episode where we talk about self-awareness and maybe practice a bit of mindfulness as well, just to get you more into the habit of recognizing the emotions you're experiencing. But if you can do that, then you can move to step two, which is to press pause on your response. Now, this is what I call the magic moment. This is the point of no return. If you do not press pause, the chances are you will react on autopilot uh, and the moment to self-regulate is gone. Yes, I know that sounds e- that it sounds easier said than done. I get that, especially if it's an extreme reaction. But there are lots of things that you can do. Um, maybe I think that my most common one and the most common one I see is to literally pause your breathing. Um, so people who self-regulate this way, they tend to take a big deep breath in to get the oxygen in their body to respond. But rather than actually say anything, they just hold their breath. They just hold, literally they hold in their response, and it just forces them to stay silent and recognize actually this is the emotion, this is the automatic response, that may not be the best one right now. And you can see when people do that because they'll slowly breathe out, their shoulders relax, and you can see them choosing a different response. Politicians are great at this. If if you watch kind of especially like politicians arguing with each other, you can see them take the big deep breath in to defend themselves and they know actually that's not right, let's calm down first. It's really interesting to watch. There are other effective ways. Um, I've heard of people pinching themselves just to make sure they don't respond. Um, Someone told me recently that if she's arguing with her partner, she counts to 10 in her head first, just allows her to regulate and not have that automatic response. Um, Or you could take the bad boys approach. So if you are a fan of bad boys too, you'll know that they rub their earlobes and just go, I'm aware that may be a very niche reference, but for anyone who gets it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but whatever method you use, just find one that works for you. Just find one that allows you to just take that little bit of extra time that can really prevent you uh, from responding in a way that you, you wouldn't normally want to. And once you press pause, you can then move to step three, which is just to try and see things from the other side. And we'll come on to this a little bit later on anyway, but, but in short, your default reaction has been picked based on your interpretation of the situation. But is that the right viewpoint? Have you got the full story? Do you understand the situation correctly? And just taking a pause allows you just to hear the other person's point of views. And I mean, really hear it. Where are they coming from? Why are they saying that? Why are they acting in that way? And for me, this was, this was the biggest change for me uh, as I had to fight so hard to take myself out of the equation. I had to realize it wasn't about me. So all of my reactions are based on, well, so-and-so saying this, that must be a direct impact on me. But it wasn't until I paused and thought, actually, what are they saying? What were they trying to get across? How are they feeling? And it really allowed me to think, actually, this is not about me. So my automatic response of getting defensive and yelling at them is completely the wrong one. So seeing some things from the other side just may highlight to you that the reaction that you have automatically may not be suitable. And with all of that insight, you can now move on to step four, which is to choose your response. Now, these four steps can take uh, 24 hours. They can take 24 seconds. But the, co- the concept for the four steps is the same. And where we talk about step four, about choosing your response, if you've done those first three effectively, you're, you're, you hopefully will be in a calmer frame of mind. So you can res- choose to respond uh, in a more suitable way, less loaded with emotion. However, if it hasn't worked and you may still be frustrated or angry, it could be a really, tr- a, a really big moment that's really triggered you. 
but actually think actually okay let's revisit step two then what would calm me down i've tried those things it hasn't worked let's try something else what would help you be calmer is it expressing your feelings calmly or is it like postponing your response i've heard people say things like i'm, I'm not sure how to respond to that so so give me time to take it all in um and possibly my favorite I think I'll take myself away from the situation now as I don't want to say something I'll regret. And I love that. It's a common one that I do and it's, it just kind of shows, hold on, that things are getting a bit tense here. Like I say, we're not really taking things in the same way. So rather than just snap at each other, let's just take five minutes and just step away from the situation before we can revisit because it just diffuses the situation, takes the emotion out and you're able to come back with a clearer mind. So that's that. That's four simple steps then to hopefully help improve your self-regulation. And it moves you to a place where you're no longer being controlled by your emotions or your ego, but instead you take control, that key word there, you take control of these automatic responses. And that puts you in a position to respond in a calm and appropriate manner. So that's the second pillar then. So that's two pillars down. When we move on to the third one, this is all about uh, social awareness. And this is defined as how you understand other people's thoughts and feelings as well as your own. And that instead of judging or labeling others, you work hard to see things through their eyes. And it's a really interesting one, social awareness, because I think it's possibly one of the easier ones to to measure just by watching interactions. Um, Those who score highly in social awareness really take time to see other people's points of view they take the time to understand how people are feeling um, and then they they just take time to respond accordingly and more often than not the people who have high social awareness are really rather good at conflict management and on the flip side you can see those who really lack social awareness these are the people who are often seen as stubborn or inflexible Um, they see things a certain way and they generally can't understand why people don't agree with their way of thinking and they can even get frustrated about it Um, especially when people don't instantly agree. And as you can imagine, more often than not, that leads to conflict. So it's quite easy to see those two. And when I try to explain social awareness, I talk about empathy, which I'll touch on in a minute. But to really bring it to life, I'm going to use a technique which is called perceptual positioning. Now, this technique actually suggests that there are three positions to an interaction, not just two. So I'll talk you through the positions and I'll give you an example which will bring that to life. So position one is the self. So this is you. This, this is your reality, what you see, what you hear, how you feel about a situation in terms of what matters to you. Position two is the other. So this is the other person's reality. So how the situation would look, sound, feel if you were in their shoes. And position three is the observer. Now the observer is a third party position who is not involved in the situation. They are just watching the self and the other interact and they consider what is best for everyone involved. So to bring this to life, I'll talk about a scenario between two people and we'll see the perceptual positions they take. So we have Alex and Charlie who work together. Alex is due to present something to senior management and is relying on a piece of work from Charlie as it needs to go into the presentation. However, every time Charlie sends it through, there's something wrong with it and it's not what Alex is asking for, so Alex sends it back. So now let's put ourselves in those perceptual positions. If you were Alex, what would you be thinking? Chances are you're feeling frustrated. You'll be maybe thinking, why can't Charlie just get this right? I'm under so much pressure. Uh, It may just be easy for me to do it myself at this rate. Does that sound about right? I know a lot of people react that way. I I, I was one of them as well. Maybe sometimes still. Now let's put yourself in position two. So the other. So this is Charlie. Imagine if you were Charlie. What would you be thinking then? You could equally be be frustrated that Alex keeps telling you you're wrong. Um, Maybe you just don't understand what you're being asked to do. And every time it comes back, you're feeling less 
and less confident. You just want someone to help you. Yeah, again, how does that sound? Does that sound about right as well? Now, far too often, an interaction is just left as those two positions. And we end up with two people who are both stressed and both frustrated. They're not getting their work done and they're possibly damaging their relationship too. So it's not a great place to be in. But that is what happens in the absence of social awareness. That's, that's a normal interaction. But remember, we had a third position, the observer. So the observer knows how both Alex and Charlie are feeling, what's going on, and can give solutions. The observer could encourage them to talk to each other, ask whether Alex's instructions are clear or whether Charlie needs extra support. And the observer can do this because they put themselves in the shoes of Alex and Charlie. And as you can guess, the the key to improving your social awareness is your ability to act as that observer, to see things from both sides, to understand how everyone is feeling in a situation. And as I'm saying that, you may be thinking, I I can guess what two skills are needed here. And you'd be right. You need self-awareness and you need empathy. So you need self-awareness to understand how you're feeling and you need empathy to understand how the other party is feeling as well. Now we've covered self-awareness. I told you it was an important one that had links to all the other pillars. Um, But the one I want to touch on is empathy. Um, And empathy, I genuinely believe, is one of our most undervalued skills. Uh, It improves virtually every relationship that we have, including those at work and romantic ones. And yet too often, empathy is seen as just a throwaway soft skill. People don't necessarily see the power of it. And hopefully I can kind of get that point across to you about how important empathy is. So I hopefully kind of share some tips about how you can work on your own empathy. And I think the way that I like to describe it is that it's all about conscious communication. So actually being present when someone is talking to you. So what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. Uh, it could be it could mean to just be curious. So when you're talking to someone, be curious about what they have to say, their story, their emotions. Uh, I think we're all guilty of just seeing someone and saying, oh, how are you doing? But how often are we genuinely curious about that answer? So instead, just try and take an active interest in people. And, and when you do that, I think through empathy, it's also very important to put judgments to one side. Everyone's stories are different from your own, uh, which means what makes them tick or what makes them anxious will differ. Um, so really pay attention to what someone's saying and don't just dismiss or judge or try and answer what they're telling you. Just listen. And, and when I talk about listening, oh gosh, listening is so important when it comes to empathy. I've coached more people than I could possibly even begin to fathom on the importance of listening skills. And really, right now, think of someone in your life who is a good listener. And I mean a really good listener. And think about how they make you feel when they just sit and actively listen to you. I'm going to take a guess. It makes you feel pretty good, doesn't it? And it's not just someone like hearing what you're saying. It's someone tuning into you. someone being consciously connected to you. And I wish I could say there was a secret formula to, 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 to being a good listener. But it's just simply about having the desire to do it. And just a desire to be there for someone, to be curious, to not judge. Good listeners don't try to have an answer for everything. They don't try to put their own spin on things. And they certainly don't make it about them. They just want to hear what is being said. And that's what empathy is like. Say, when you really build those strong connections, that, that's, that is the greatest way to sum up empathy. It is about the connection. It's not about problem solving. It's not about changing the way people think. It is about building a connection. Great empaths connect with people by listening to their stories, being curious about what people say, recognizing emotions, and even joining them in that emotion as well. Not trying to dismiss it, not trying to get rid of the emotion, but being there with them. Um, Hopefully that's getting the point across about the importance of empathy. So when we talk about social awareness, it is about being able to take that observer's point of view, understand how you're feeling about a situation, use empathy to understand how someone else is feeling about a situation, 
put those two together and then act in both of your best interests. And that is how to strengthen your social awareness. Um, But now what we'll do then is we'll move on to the fourth and final pillar of emotional intelligence, which is relationship management. I suppose this is almost the culmination of effective emotional intelligence. Um, And it's defined as the ability to use your awareness of others to influence uh, emotions effectively, to create lasting relationships, and to work together in the desired direction. In short, it simply means having an understanding of yourself, an understanding of others, and an understanding of how best to communicate with them. Sometimes you may hear this pillar called social skills, uh, and it's just a good summary as well. After all that, it's, it's about improving those skills to work with each other. Um, and as you can imagine, there are lots of skills that fit under this category, but I, I'm just a bit cautious at times. So I don't want to go through too many of them. So I'll just kind of give you three just to, to start off with. And I suppose where better to start with than communication styles. So, so people with high emotional intelligence not only understand their own personal communication style, but they also understand how others like to be communicated with as well. Um, so some people will like the personal touch. Others will just want to get to the point. Uh, people would like to make quick decisions. Some people like to take their time. Now, I, I'm fully aware of my style. I am a people person. I like to include other people in conversations. I like to make group decisions. And I like to take my time on any decision that I have to make. And I know that about me. And if you ever want to get on my side, that's the best way to include me in a conversation. However, I also know that at times I will speak to people who are very different. So they want very quick decisions, they want to work on their own, and they want to focus on cold, hard facts rather than people. Now, if I was communicating with someone like that and I didn't change my style, how far would that conversation go? How deep could that relationship get? Not not very far at all, really, is it? So I managed the relationship. I influenced the outcome by adapting my own style. Um, And the best, very best conversations and the very best relationships are always between uh, two parties who both do that. So it's finding the common ground. It's always a bit of give and take there rather than just one person flexing and flexing and flexing. So that's one social skill. Another great social skill is leadership. Now, when I say this, I'm not talking about people management. That's what generally pops into people's mind when I say that, but that's not what I'm talking about. When I say leadership in terms of this social skill, what I'm talking about is being someone that people would willingly choose to follow. So maybe another way to phrase it would be role model behavior. Generally, we only talk about role model behaviours either in front of children or in a workplace, when actually we, we can show leadership through every relationship that we have, whether it's being the person in a group of friends who shows kindness to a stranger, uh, being the person who steps up a, a, and just challenges the status quo when there's injustice, or being the first to open up and talk about mental health. When we talk about leadership as, as a social skill to improve relationships, it's about taking ownership of your behaviours your values, your actions, and inspiring others to follow suit. Um, and I think we can, we've got time for one last social skill, um, which, of course, is going to be one of my favourites. And it's all about developing others. Uh, now, this is my career. So, of course, I'm going to say how amazing the skill is. But there's more to this than just coaching someone. And when you talk about a relationship, you can develop others in any relationship that you have. No matter if it's at work or whether it's with family, friends or partners. You can all take an active role in developing each other. And this could be in the form of joining fitness classes together, recommending a new book, or hey, maybe even recommending a great podcast that you've heard. But putting it simply, it's just about looking for opportunities to help each other develop. And some of the strongest relationships that I've had and I've seen have this at their core. Like nothing really builds a stronger connection with me than someone who, who recognises uh, something that I'm passionate about and gives me an opportunity to advance. Like someone recently said to me, 
Uh, Kev, I know you love podcasts. I've, I've seen this article about how to get even more listeners. And it's, it was so simple, but it was just so like for our relationships, like, thank you. That shows that you, you're kind of trying to build me up. Um, I, I always try and tell people, look, put yourself out there. Here's an opportunity. Why do you not try A, B and C? And so often I have those conversations when I don't get anything out of it. I, I, I'm not doing it for my job or, for, or for, for coaching clients. I'm doing it because they're my friends and I want them to be the best version of themselves as well. And when you build that into a relationship, you see that is such an incredible social skill. And if you ever want to, you ever want to kind of doubt that, look at the flip side of it. What is the opposite of developing someone? It's putting them down. We all know how poisonous that is in any relationship. So we wouldn't willingly choose that. But what we can willingly choose is the other end of the spectrum. If we all just build each other up, let each other become that, build those connections to be the best versions of each other. They are the types of relationships that I thrive in and I want to be in. So that kind of brings us then pretty much to the end of our two-parter here. Um, I, I appreciate this one's been a bit lengthier. So I, 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 thanks for sticking with me. But let's do a very quick recap. Um, so we just to remember that emotional intelligence is not only core to building relationships, but it can have an impact in your in careers and health too. It starts with self-awareness, so understanding your own emotions. Um, you may have already started being a bit more mindful. I hope, hopefully you have. But remember con- to consistently and constantly ask yourself how you're feeling, uh, whether it's scheduling time or doing it ad hoc. But really practice mindfulness and try and understand your emotions. That then lets us self-regulate. Um, and where we aim to control those automatic responses. Uh, remember the four steps, recognize the emotion, pause your reaction, um, either the big breath, counter to 10 or the woosa. See things from other people's points of view and then choose the response you actually want. Our third pillar was about social awareness and those perceptual positions. Um, so making sure that you recognize your own position with your self-awareness and you use those important empathy skills to recognize other people's positions as well. And once we've got all of those skills, we can truly enhance our relationship management as well and hone those all important social skills to really to really influence those around us and make our most effective relationships possible. Now, like I say, if this was a lot to take aboard, you can re-listen to the episodes again. Also, if you're not sure where to start, I, I mentioned it in the last episode, but just search for an emotional intelligence quiz and you can get a score for each pillar that we've talked about and it can give you a great indication on, on, on where to start and what to work on first. And when you do all of this, when you make a dedication to become more emotionally intelligent, I promise you, not only do you notice a difference, but the most important people in your life will do so as well. And not only will they recognize it, but they will be grateful for it as well. And when you are happier, and when those around you are happier, well, who knows just how far you can grow. So that brings us to the end of today's episode and this two-part special. Uh, I know there was a lot of content, but thank you so much for sticking with me. Uh, I really do hope that you took a lot from from both episodes uh, and you're now in a place to make some really positive changes. Uh, As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So so search me on LinkedIn just by searching Kevin Roberts uh, or you can find me on Instagram uh, by searching official grow your own way. However you find me, just feel free to message me and let me know your thoughts uh, and ask any questions as well. In addition to the usual request to to like and subscribe to the podcast, it would be amazing if you could recommend it to a friend. Um, You never know who could benefit from from hearing this, so why not just recommend it and just see what happens. Um, But for now, I would like to say thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, It really does mean a lot to me every time that you do. Um, I hope that you all stay safe and well, and I will speak to you on the next episode of Grow Your Own Way. Goodbye.